Last week, we ended our talk with the glorious truth of God's grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this week, I'd like to start with a question. What kind of aliens are there? (laughs) We're going from grace to aliens. Okay, this is... I, come on, it's, it's a bit of a stretch, but if you stick with me, I think I can show you there's something going on here. In modern minds, the word aliens evokes the idea of little green men. <laughs> in fact, there are a group of scientists who, okay, tongue-in-cheek, they call themselves LGM theorists. They actually do. A little green men placed life on this planet. That's literally what they say. <laughs> it's amazing, but... The huge surge in belief among scientists that life on Earth was seeded here from an alien world is really astonishing. Listen to this. It's from an article by Andrew Hugh, famous writer from a very famous newspaper, The Telegraph, out of the UK. Humans are all aliens who came to Earth from outer space, a leading British scientist has claimed. Professor Chandra Ridramasinghe, I think there's every chance I said that right, a wick ramishing. A Cardiff University said new research overwhelmingly supported the view that human life started from outside our Earth. Well, I'd agree with that, but I don't think we're saying the same thing. The astrobiologist said the first seeds of life were deposited on our planet from space 3.8 billion years ago. He claimed microbes from outer space arrived on Earth from comets, which then multiplied and seeded to form human life. He said his evidence, published in Cambridge University's International Journal of Astrobiology, showed humans and all life on Earth came from aliens brought to the Earth by comets hitting the planet. Yes, we are all aliens. We share a cosmic ancestry, Professor Wickramasinghe Singh said. This is called the panspermia theory. Incredibly, he says, although we have no definite knowledge of how life started in the first place, once started, it spread in the cosmos and survival is inevitable. What would lead a perfectly intelligent man to pronounce such complete drivel? Okay? Well, these scientists are trying to solve a problem. The spontaneous generation of life from simple raw elements has been shown to be impossible, or so nearly so as to be inconceivable. And they cannot and will not accept that life was created by something or someone not of this nature, someone supernatural. So, either accidentally, as this prop says, or purposefully, as the LGM theorists say, Life was placed on this planet by aliens and evolved from there. And since evolved, the whole evolved thing is such a scientific morass, some have evoked aliens as the cause, or at least assisting, the evolution of one species into another, over and over until we get to where we are. Some even suggested that these are accredited scientists that teach in universities and write books about science. Some of them have suggested that humans were specifically manufactured out of apes by alien geniuses. Kid you not, 
These are guys with PhDs saying these things. In fact, the bulk of scientists now hold to some variation of panspermia. It's incredible. But the alien of our focus today is the scientist himself, not the extraterrestrial life forms that he envisions, okay? Alien. In a legal sense, the term alien refers to someone from another nation, foreigner. This is more the direction we want to take. What do we do with people from other cultures, from different economic strata of another generation? Their music is different. Their clothing is peculiar. Their style of living even clashes with ours. In a sense, people of unequal mental acuity can be alien to each other. Often those with higher intellectual capability or simply better education think themselves superior to those who are alien to them. Did you know that in America, in America, people judged to be mentally ill or retarded were being sterilized against their wills clear into the 1960s? That is to say, until about the time we flew men to the moon, they were still sterilizing people that weren't smart enough. Convicted criminals, they're alien to most of us, and just last month, it's amazing, just last month, the news broke that prison officials in our country were pressuring, very highly, female inmates to be sterilized so that they wouldn't produce more criminals like themselves. Okay, that was last month. What is it that makes us humans think we have the right to force those alien to us into actions we deem correct, even if they don't? Here are two biggies when it comes to being alien, race and religion. <laughs> but there is a sense of being alien that is of much greater import than any of these we've discussed. And it relates to our UK scientist and his strange panspermias proposition. Before we get to that, we'd better go back and review. In the beginning, in Christ, Paul defined via five points concerning redemption. He spoke of the glorious beginning of our faith and how we can be sure of it, what one might call our genesis in Christ. The Father chose us before time began. The Son gave his blood for us before we were ever born. And the Holy Spirit guaranteed our inheritance before we were. He showed the wonder of the one God-man. The Son is all and fills all because he is true God. The same yesterday and today and forever is the writer of the Hebrews said. Because he took on human form, human nature, he was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, he died for us, was resurrected for eternity, and will return for us. And so that causes us to ask, how does the oneness of God relate to our being one? In Walking from Death to Life, we saw how Paul showed from where they started, where will we end up, what path do we take to get there and how do we get on that path? We illustrated this by asking, how does one get to the top of Half Dome? <laughs> how do you do that? Well, we did it with a helicopter. Uh, 
they were dead, they were horribly tied to sin, the course of this world, a course laid out by the devil, and would still have been, but for God's amazing grace. And all this is true for us too, so let's not be proud that we follow Christ. We were dead and raised in Christ. So humility, gratitude. And we need to walk in the work that he has prepared for us. As we read when we started today. But humans have this issue. This issue of alienness. Being outside the lives of one another. In order to do the work that God had prepared for the Ephesian church, they needed unity in the church. This being alien to and from one another would keep them from the unity they needed to do the work that God had laid out for them. All right. So the setting of where they are, where Paul's writing to them, their primary issue as to this whole alien identity thing was between Jew and Gentile. Okay. Uncircumcised was a derisive term the Jews used to refer to Gentiles. And then again, the Gentiles in their turn used circumcised in the most demeaning tone you can imagine. The physical difference demonstrated a social and spiritual boundary that no one was supposed to cross. Nobody. And frankly, nobody wanted to cross it. <laughs> it was a virtual wall between the people. But that's not how it was supposed to be. God wanted Israel to tell the world about him and to invite them to join the Hebrew nation in serving the true creator God. Instead, the Jews caused segregation. 750 years before Paul, Isaiah wrote, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Let's look at some drawings that will help us to see what God intended and how far the Jews of the first century were from this goal. The temple that God designed for the new nation through Moses had a division only between the holy place and the most holy place. Okay, That's the only division it had. Priests only were allowed in the holy place, that bigger area on the right, and only under certain circumstances. So they couldn't just walk in there whenever they wanted. There was very controlled. And only on very special days was anyone allowed into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept over here. Uh, the purpose was to show all people how very far from proper fellowship with God they were because of their sins. That's what's going on here. This is a photograph of an actual life-sized model of the tabernacle, another word for temple, that has been constructed in Elat, Israel. That's actually there. You can go there today and see that. It's a full life-sized replica of the temple that Moses and the children of Israel carried all around with them for, the, for all the time. Uh, we don't know exactly what the original temple looked like, and whoever made this, they didn't use the, the materials that Moses used, it's, but you know, we have so many materials available to us today. But I wanted you to see how simple what God designed is. That's it. Simple. Very simple, right? 
<sighs> now let's go from the simplicity of what God designed to what was in use by the time Jesus was born. Look at that drawing. <laughs> Remember that simple plan God gave at the birth of this nation, that little simple tent? This little red box in the next slide shows you that little box in there inside the red oval. That is the simple part. Everything around it was added. Why? To keep those alien people from approaching the temple of God. And what we're seeing here, it isn't even the whole temple. This is not the whole temple. Believe it or not. Uh, this is just the inner Jews-only part. This that's, uh, Surrounding this, we put that all in red, you can see a, a line, that's a wall. That's, it was an actual physical wall that was a dividing wall in the temple. Gentiles were not even to draw near to this inner part. Not even close. The entire temple area was uh, consumed a large part of the city. This is the whole city, the walled city of Jerusalem at the time of Christ. And the temple takes up a huge part of it. That red spot, that whole elaborate, that red square, that, that elaborate temple drawing we were looking at, the inner part, that's that. That's just that. That's the red square. Everything around it is was considered part of the temple and is the Gentile court. The court of the Gentiles. So the original holy and most holy places, the little teeny spot in what was now this gargantuan temple complex. That whole inner part that was Jews only, that they had built up. There was a wall around that, as we said, and the entire area within the brown line now is called the Gentile court. So you get an idea of what's going on. Now there's a lot of history about the abuse the Jews suffered, particularly at the hand of some Romans, some particular Romans. But by the time Jesus came to the temple, only Jewish men were allowed into the area, the court, close to the holy place and the most holy place. Women, not even Jewish women, weren't allowed, they weren't allowed to get that close. Okay? And Gentiles you know, kept further back yet. They couldn't even see what God has designed as a temple. But God had said through Isaiah that his house, his temple, would be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now how are you going to pray in that house if you couldn't even get close to it? All right? Roman law even allowed Jewish leaders to execute violators of this law, this rule about keeping Gentiles back. In fact, clear up until the death of Herod the Great, shortly after that, which was right after Jesus was born. So until about the time that Jesus came, Jews had the authority to kill anybody, who walked, any Gentile who walked inside there. Whoa. In fact, Paul is incarcerated while he's writing this letter we're studying because he was falsely accused of taking a non-Jew into the temple beyond the Gentile court. That was the accusation. That's why he's in jail right now. And the Ephesians, of course, knew all this. So quite simply, most Jews thought most Gentiles unfit to be near the temple proper. They're too alien. And, unfortunately, it appears that some Jews who had become Christians had carried this attitude of superiority into the church. So what are we saying? We're, we're saying that we are saved by grace without any effort of our own. It is entirely a work of God. He has also prepared a work for us to do. 
But people have segregated themselves from those they think alien. In particular, Jewish believers were separating themselves from Gentile believers, which is what the Ephesian church almost completely was composed of. They were almost all Gentiles. Now, we're ready to hear what Paul says about this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. At one time. It should not have been, but it was a reality that these Gentiles had no relationship with God. Well, pretty much no Gentiles had a relationship with God before Jesus. Paul here describes that lack of relationship in five ways. Five things that Gentiles lacked that the Jews, those who believed, had. First, they were separated from, that is, without Christ. Now, we recognize that in a direct sense, nobody had Christ. You know, he hadn't come yet. <laughs> he was, he's not here. How can you have him? Well, Paul means a hope of Christ. Gentiles individually had no hope of a Christ who would come to save them from their sins, of course. But Paul means more than just individual hopelessness. As a people, as a group, they did not have this hope. There was no national hope of his coming Jesus, remember, did come as a Jew. And second, they were excluded from citizenship in the theocratic state of Israel. Israeli citizenship was along racial lines. Now they weren't, Gentiles weren't supposed to be locked out. (laughs) But the fact is that if they wanted to come close to God before Christ, they would have to give up their Gentileness (laughs) and live as Jews but they remained alien to God and to the Israeli nation as well. Third, they were strangers to the covenants of promise. Now that covers a lot of ground, but let's give a quick overview of what that means. In the covenant with Abraham, God made an unconditional promise that they would become a nation, a blessing to all people, be given that land, and most importantly, God promised to be their God. Okay, that's the covenant one of the covenants. Then the Mosaic covenant that happened at the time of Moses, there was a conditional promise of continued existence as a nation, and most importantly, that they would be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Okay? To David, God made an unconditional promise, a covenant, to establish an eternal kingdom from his line. Okay, the Jews had this. The Gentiles didn't. And then there was the New Covenant. Wow, an unconditional promise by God to cleanse Israel and give them their land back. It's very similar, by the way, to the relationship God promises Christians, if you read it. They were strangers to all of this. It was completely alien to them. And the result, Paul's fourth point, they were without hope. And fifth, they were without God. Not just individually, remember, but as a people, as a group. But there's good news for the Ephesians. 
That's all in the past, Paul says. Paul moves now to focus on the present. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. (laughs) One doesn't come near God by coming near to his temple anymore. No, Jesus has come. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Nobody can be kept out (laughs) because they are alien anymore. This is the end of separation by people type. Okay? Paul said they were brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you remember how he started this letter? In him we have redemption through his blood. In him we have obtained an inheritance. In him you also were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. They were brought near to Christ. They are sealed, that is to say, have obtained salvation. So what does that mean when it comes to alienness? For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Dividing wall. Paul was without doubt thinking of that wall in the temple. Before he placed his trust in Jesus, Paul had many times arrogantly walked through the gates of that wall. He read the signs posted on on it, and we know, he says, he approved of them. We actually have a physical stone with this sign on it. No alien is to go beyond the wall and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Wow. That was posted all over the wall. Josephus, a Jewish historian, records it saying that there's no point these Gentiles that got killed had only themselves to blame. It said that right on the wall, right? Because they're not good enough to draw near to God. The means that God used to prepare a people into which his son could be born was the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And that law was now abolished through the son. So there can be peace since the two peoples are no longer alien when they are in Christ. Jesus broke down that wall that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. One new man or as Paul says elsewhere one body. So what is the body? All who believe should say who is the body is all is we what is the body Jews Gentiles it doesn't matter <laughs> whatever no one needs the old covenants anymore neither Gentiles nor Jews the sacrifice of Jesus has created a new class of humanity and as to who is or is not alien to God It's eliminated the old ones. Salvation should result in peace between Jews and Gentiles. Four times in these three little verses here, Paul mentions peace. Sadly, about the time Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesian church, Jews and Gentiles were killing each other in a war in Caesarea. 
And not those who were part of that one new man. No, Jesus Christ himself was their peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. He is our peace because he broke down the dividing wall. That, you know, how did he become our peace? So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So you got to love Paul's turn of phrase. Jesus is killed on the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I mean, this is just brilliant. This guy is just great. But back to our question, how? He would, could or would reconcile us both to God. Again and again, the scriptures say it. To get close to people first, to get close to God. Okay, The Jews were so sure they were the only ones who could get close to God because they had the law. But it is the abolishment of the Jewish law that brings peace. The law was the point of division. Now we could say the weaker, those without the law, are condescended to by taking away the advantage of the stronger, those with the law. But the law was no advantage. No one ever completely lived it. Ever. The law was actually condemning the Jews. But they had become proud of their association with it. The new law is in our hearts. Christ fulfilled the old law and ended it. In another letter, speaking about the Jews and the law they clung to, Paul said, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Being right before God, that is to say having his righteousness, is only possible through Christ. Therefore, the old law had to be abolished, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility in his body. Because he took on human form, but we've talked about that a lot, he made peace between us, one new man out of two. The new humanity is new. <laughs> when they became Christians, they were not Gentile Christians or Jewish Christians. They were just Christians, okay? They were just Christians. When people attach any description to Christian, that's always trouble. Because they are trying to say, there is something different about me. We are alien from one another. And that's not okay. All believers are no longer alienated from God and thus should no longer be alienated from any other group of believers. This peace between us was possible because he reconciled us to God in one body through the cross. He killed the hostility because he made the law unnecessary. 
And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Far and near, in their case, Gentiles and Jews. Well, what's far and near for us today? Okay, Those raised in church and those who didn't have a clue what church is. <laughs> We've had people come in here who didn't know what you do here. I had one guy come in and say, I don't know what you do here, but I kind of wanted to come in and see. Is that all right? <laughs> well, we pretty much do it anyway. We sit, talk. <laughs> he thanked us afterwards. And then there's those who were raised in America and those alien to our culture. Is that a dividing line? All those who naturally have no hope can find hope if they see all of them, anybody. And then they can be like the Ephesian Gentiles. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Don't ever forget, we must not forget, once a person comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they are no longer strangers and aliens to him. What are they? Fellow citizens with the saints. Citizenship was a huge deal back then. Maybe one in ten was a Roman citizen. Well, 100 out of 100 who believe are citizens of heaven, okay? <laughs> we got to remember that. What are they? They're actually members, he says, of the same household that we are. They become our brothers and sisters. You do know that our membership book is titled Becoming God's Family. Yes? That's not an accident, in case you were wondering. We who believe are all members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The term apostles and prophets was often used to signify the entire Bible. But in this very letter, Paul uses the phrase to mean those specially given by God to start the church. And I think he means that here because he's talking about a new temple. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Note that we are growing into a holy temple. Holy means set apart. Set apart from sin, from the world from where we came from, we are to be alien to what was once our very nature. Don't forget the purpose of a temple. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All we who believe will agree that we are, individually, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us now. If you believe, God dwells in you. But here Paul says, built together. Faith in the work of God the Father through Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit was never intended to be an individual exercise. We were never intended to be alien to one another. Nor from God, of course. We are intended to be built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
Paul wrote that we have work to do that God prepared beforehand. Therefore, remember that we are no longer aliens from one another. I mean, why does Scripture speak so harshly to those who would cause division in the church? Because we're not supposed to be divided that way. And God does not take lightly the abuse of the dwelling place that he is building by the Spirit. We is every person who believes. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We are not to see others as alien because of their race, nor because of their economic status, nor their gender. And this is, of course, it's just a short list. It's designed to make us think. Remember our professor with the weird ideas? Why does he want us all to be aliens? Because he is alienated from God by his direct choice. And you can be sure that all those who are alienated from God will be very much alien and alienated from us. And we need, in a sense, to be alienated from them until God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will it could happen and then they too will be to us and much more importantly to God alien no more